Welcome to the podcast. Today is February 15th, 2020, and uh, in this week's episode, we're going to talk about lies, bigger lies, and official coronavirus statistics, and how the media propagates them. So I guess it's time to reassess the coronavirus situation because there has been quite a bit more data coming out. Now, when I first made the initial podcast on this topic, this was uh, very much a small-scale phenomenon. In other words, you had 300 dead reported. It seemed quite containable. But uh, now, just a couple of weeks or so later, not the case anymore. And it seems like the situation is quite a bit more dire, and that's for a, for a couple of different reasons. Well, first of all, I mean, it's quite obvious that China acted too little too late. Secondly, they put out some numbers that now turn out to be grossly distorted. Now, I did suspect that you know, the Chinese data was going to be dodgy at best. Now it turns out that they are so egregious that we're going to have to reassess the whole situation here. So the Chinese government, they released an updated figure just a couple of days ago on the number of infected, and they skyrocketed overnight on Thursday. So I mean, this is mostly due to the reclassification of infected, I guess. But I think it could also be due to the, well, they have more capacity to diagnose. And also, I mean, it could be down to the Chinese just changing their course on their level of honesty, more or less. We'll never know. But I think there's a few different things going on here. And then interestingly, again, they actually lowered the death count again overnight, apparently because of uh, double counting. Now, I'm going to have to call BS on that one right there. I mean, in a country like China, where they basically track your every social media interaction, your, you know, your bank transaction, and they leverage facial recognition to identify you wherever you might be, they don't just double count 100 dead people. Mm-mm. I mean, this is just open manipulation of the data right there. And meanwhile, just reading through the news, it's not really clear at all what's happening you know, on the ground in the industrial centers of China. I mean, it's surprisingly difficult to get a handle on what's actually going on here. I mean, this ought to be a really critical piece of information, you know, given our reliance on the Chinese machine, on Chinese manufacturing, you know, and Chinese medicine and supplements also. And if you look at the markets, they are now higher than they were before the outbreak even began. It turns out that these kind of planet-threatening disasters are bullish for the markets. Hmm. Well, but I guess, you know, with, with the countless billions of liquidity that the central banks have supplied, then maybe it's not too surprising. But it is absurd, really. Now, given that the media, they aren't really giving us anything definitive, any definitive truths as to, you know, whether the factories are spinning up and, you know, when that might be happening. It's interesting to look at, you know, some of the weather data or climate data that's coming out of China and specifically the, the, the levels of pollution. So this is one thing that you can actually get consistently out of China. So you can look at the, the core cities themselves, so the biggest industrial centers. It turns out that the pollution levels there are down by as much as half and I mean, that would indicate to me that you have, well, less activity of all sorts in those places, less traffic, you know, less, well, activity. And another more ominous sign, speaking of looking at what's going on with the air, is you also saw an increase in sulfur dioxide in Wuhan, which typically indicates, 
burning of organic materials. Make of that what you will. It does sound kind of creepy, but I guess, you know, we'll find out in due time. In any case, these are all things that are, haven't really been reported upon all that much by the mainstream media. Surprise, surprise. But uh, what is reported upon is, you know, the Chinese data, of course. We keep hearing that day in, day out. And I think we can conclude from what I said earlier that it is hmm, bordering on nonsense. And another reason you know that this is nonsense is because the mortality rate was a fixed 2.1% 10 days in a row. Now, I would say that that is quite unlikely to happen just by chance unless you are really seeking to generate that number and delivering numbers accordingly. So it's quite interesting to see just how willing and how complicit we are in the West to just parrot these numbers without really questioning them. Now, I was skeptical at first, but now I am very skeptical. And then to draw the conclusion that actually a normal seasonal flu is far more lethal. It's, you know, nothing to see here, folks. It's, it's all fine. Don't worry. Go back to sleep. Now, call me paranoid, but that's not really sound reasoning right there. I mean, you had the WHO, which is the World Health Organization. They came out, you know, basically reassuring everyone that, you know, China has everything under control. And But really, what the only thing they were really achieving here is, or trying to do maybe, was just helping the Chinese save face, more or less. I mean, the WHO is not like the, the CDC. They are a political institution, actually. And it's kind of typical, it's kind of endemic of international organizations today that it's more important to maintain the facade, to kind of just preserve the status quo than to potentially save the lives of people. Now, in any case, it's quite obvious by now that these coronavirus numbers, they are a disaster and that no one in any kind of official position or in the media is really seriously questioning the, the narrative that's going on here at all. They're contributing to it. And in fact, if you do question the narrative, you're going to risk getting deplatformed. By the way, I don't know if you caught this, but Zero Hedge, they were banned from Twitter just for, for speculating that the coronavirus could have been lab-made. And this is actually you know, going on a couple of weeks ago already. And now that's a theory that's becoming more and more well-established. I mean, it's not like they're touting this every day, but it, it is out there. Now, Zero Hedge was banned for just speculating on that way before everybody else. But I don't see you know, CNN getting banned from Twitter for touting the same thing, basically. But getting back to the big picture here, I mean, so much of the critical data that we do get from the press is dodgy or downright fraudulent. Let's switch gears here for a second. Just talk about, let's take the unemployment data in the US as an example. I mean, it is a total joke. The idea that it is you know, 3.6%, I mean, that is really an insult to your intelligence. And by the way, just looking at how they count these numbers, if you've been unemployed for longer than six months, well, you're just assumed to not be looking for work anymore, meaning you're not reflected in that number anymore. How convenient. So this 3.6 number, it is, it is a joke, as I say. Another big one, speaking of how government falsifies data to just kind of control the narrative, inflation. I'm sure you've at some point found, let's say, an old magazine or an old or used book in a yard sale and looked at the price tag to see what the price was like, you know, 15 years ago. 
Or maybe you look, you found an old takeout menu or something like that. And the prices are usually, they can be bafflingly low. So you might find, you know, a newspaper costing 15 cents or a burger costing 25 cents, whatever it might be. And meanwhile, if you look at the official inflation rate in the US, it is what, 2%? I mean, we all know instinctively and intuitively that that is not the case. That is wishful thinking. It is fraud, I would say, right there. And of course, the data that's put out by the U.S., the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the U.S. Labor Department and so forth, it is grossly understated. My favorite thing here actually now that I'm getting started is, is when they invent new tactics to try and you know, suppress the trend that's going on. So for example, just sticking to, the, to inflation again, they calculate the consumer price inflation using a basket of goods and they monitor well, what the price of that basket is over time. So, which makes sense. That is the, the right way to do it, I guess. But the thing is, of course, that they keep on changing what they put in that basket. And I love when they do these things called, for example, the hedonic adjustments. So this means that they might remove items from this basket if it feels like it no longer reflects what a typical purchase of a common consumer might be. So, for example, they might remove something like, uh, let's say, steak. And <laughs> their reasoning is something like, well, people buy more, more burgers. For, for, it doesn't really reflect a typical purchase for, for the common man anymore, something like that. Well, the, the big reason, one big reason why you wouldn't be buying steak anymore is because it's too darn expensive. That's why. And therefore, you have a grossly underestimated inflation rate. And that's just one example. But of course, tying this into the media again, the financial media, or just the media in general, they are all too happy to just keep on parroting this kind of nonsense without really any question. And I think it's, it's, no, it's no wonder that people are getting kind of more cynical, more skeptical about the press and the official narratives uh, and the statistics and the, and the data that we're being fed. And I think we're, we are waking up to the fact that statistics are a government tool. Actually, it's no wonder that we're seeing such a surge in, you know, conspiracy theories lately. And of course, you know, not all of that is really particularly sound, but I think these two trends have some, might have something to do with each other, actually. And I think also, speaking of waking up to different things, people are waking up to the fact that, you know, big media, you know, be that online or offline, they are totally complicit in spreading false government narratives and, and hiding, you know, inconvenient truths. And so, for example, we, we know for a fact, and I've mentioned this on this very podcast, that let's take a very specific example as it pertains to tech here and big tech and Google. I mean, they are curating the search results with a very obvious bias. I mean, I mentioned how they are, say, for example, reshuffling searches for stuff like, well, was the Las Vegas shooter a Democrat? They've heavily tampered the search results, the YouTube search results for that query. And I mean, there are countless other examples where, where Google are basically carrying water for certain interests. We all know that they are heavily left-leaning and we all know that they love their Democrats and so forth. So what I'm saying is that big media, big tech, they are complicit in spreading the government narrative or just putting forth a very favorable image of the government. Now, I believe this type of stuff is leading people away from relying on big tech and relying on traditional old school media. They are losing their legitimacy and rightly so. And I think it's also one of the reasons why some people are starting to also browse, you know, BitChute and instead of YouTube and 
DuckDuckGo versus Google and Minds.com instead of Facebook and so forth. I mean, it's a very small phenomenon, but I think it is happening. And, you know, it's a bizarre situation. You essentially have two competing realities. When you search on, let's say, Google versus DuckDuckGo, if you get your news from Google versus trying to get it from DuckDuckGo, you're going to be told entirely different things oftentimes. Anyway, getting back to this coronavirus thing and the official narratives, if you browse the Western media, you are probably going to be lulled into a sense of security, or that's what they're trying to do. And I think it's totally intentional and totally by design. And it probably does work. I mean, it, it will stem the panic for some time. You can nudge people in a direction that you want them uh, to go. And I, I say that being a recovering marketer, and I know that very well. And, and, and I mean, we hear from the likes of the, you know, the WHO and the mainstream media, how the Chinese have been oh so diligent and oh so successful in their efforts. But if you browse on the ground reports and, and get really sort of organic posts from social media and so forth, you'll, you're going to find a pretty different reality indeed. And those are not just a few stray corner cases either. And I think much, much like with the inflation rate and the unemployment rate that I just spoke about, these reports on mortality and infections, they probably serve to pacify the public for some time until, well, until the reality, you know, diverges so much from the narrative that people start believing their own eyes rather than, you know, the Politburo. So, so basically, you have such a disconnect between what you're told and what's obviously happening in front of you that the media basically becomes absurd. And on that note, actually, you might remember, you might have heard of this guy, Baghdad Bob. Um, now, this is a bit of a tangent, but he was a, he was a former Iraqi diplomat. Now, he became famous, more or less, um, during the 2003 invasion of Iraq when he was the information minister for Saddam Hussein. So he basically acted as a spokesman for the, well, for Saddam's government, more or less. And he, he claimed up until the very end during the war that American soldiers, you know, they were committing suicide by the hundreds outside the city and that the Iraqis were, were just about to kind of win the battle, so to speak. And uh, my favorite part was he was, so he held a press conference, basically, where he vehemently denied that there were any American tanks in Baghdad. And, and in fact, what was really going on was they were tanks just a few hundred yards away from where he held the press conference, and they could even be heard during the news broadcast itself. So it was, it was hilarious. But that's how that's how desperate the the party had become in just trying to save face and you know maintain the facade of normalcy. Um, and I don't think it's beneath the Chinese actually to go to this level of desperation. And we are beginning to see cracks in the facade though you know the numbers are updated in very weird ways and they are rehashed overnight and so forth and there's a clear mismatch between what is actually taking place on the streets and what is what we're being told in the media so here even here in the west i am stepping up my level of caution even a further notch and i mentioned this this just the other week but there is still time to, to prepare yourself for any eventuality um, and I'll keep monitoring the situation with a very skeptical eye, as I'm known to do. And worst case scenario, nothing happens, this blows over, and we can continue with our lives. We'll see what happens. So what do you think about the Chinese coronavirus data? Is it total bogus? Are we at Baghdad Bob absurdity levels already? 
Do you consciously, you know, sidestep Google and Facebook and YouTube and all the other major news outlets to get your news on this? Let me know what you think. You can email me on podcast at nyman.media. Thanks for listening and I'll speak to you next week. Well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to comment on an episode or if you want to support the podcast, visit nyman.media slash podcast. That's n-y-m-a-n dot media slash podcast. Or feel free to leave a review wherever you're listening from. And thanks for listening.